Good evening, dear friends of the Savior. I'd like to start out the sermon tonight by asking you a question. What pushes your buttons? What makes you see red? What makes you go from your normal, wonderful self to really angry in no time flat? At school or work or here at church, we might have our buttons pushed when we feel we're not included or listened to or taken into account. Maybe a friend or our siblings or parents or our teacher or a boss criticizes us or has expectations that we can't meet. Our buttons might be pushed when we see ego or selfishness in others. Kids, maybe your buttons get pushed when something that your parents said you were going to get to do doesn't work out and you don't get to do it. Adolescence, maybe your buttons get pushed when your parents tell you something you've heard from them one million times and you're perfectly capable of handling it without their input. Adults, maybe our buttons get pushed by the kids in our lives when we ask them to do something repeatedly and they don't. Or we give them advice and they don't seem to want to tap into our hard-earned wisdom. Maybe our buttons get pushed when we are told no to something we really, really want. Maybe there's even something about this worship service that pushes your buttons. Certainly, our phones are a source of button pushing. Social media platforms seem to thrive on it. In fact, in July, a US senator from Louisiana introduced the Don't Push My Buttons Act in response to social media platforms that track personal data to polarize and provoke online users. When we are provoked, when our buttons are pushed, whether by a person we know well or a stranger on the internet, we experience stress hormones. If it's significant, our amygdala, which is sometimes called our lizard brain, creates a fight, flight, or freeze response. And it can hijack the rest of our brain. That's why we see red or feel our heart rate get faster, our body gets sweaty, and we may not be able to respond with our best rational thinking. So what pushes your buttons? Take a moment to just identify two or three in your head. Tonight, we're gonna to look at our scripture readings and the teaching from Bonhoeffer's Life Together to explore how we can both tap in to the gift of being together in community and the gift of being alone with God to help us respond to life's challenging moments, both the small ones that irritate us and the bigger ones that threaten to send us over the edge. In our gospel passage for tonight, 10 of the disciples got their buttons pushed. It all started when James and John, the Zebedee brothers, come to Jesus and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we want. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks. They say, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus responds. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, they answer. And Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink 
and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. James and John had pushed their buttons. So Jesus brings together this group of 12 people. Two are arrogant and self-promoting. Ten are triggered and angry and jealous. And he teaches them about community. Jesus tells them, you know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles rule it over them over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is Jesus' radical, upside-down kingdom that is the heart of community. Jesus teaches it, and he models it. Instead of grasping at equality with God, he takes the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. It is in this kingdom that Jesus and his divine love are the hub, as Father Kevin shared with us two weeks ago in his bicycle tire illustration. The agape love of Jesus is patient and it is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And yet, this divine agape love is such a far cry from our own ravenous craving for a trouble-free life from our desire for others that turns them into objects that serve our own purposes. I'll be honest with you all. I was reading Life Together in preparation for this sermon. Father Kevin, do I get a candy bar too? (laughs) I did, I did, yes. And I came to the one passage that felt like spiritual surgery. One of my kids had been home from school with a sore throat for two days and I received a text from the mom of this kid's uh, school friend uh, that my kid sits next to in several of of their classes. The mom told me that her kid had had a sore throat for a week and had continued to go to school and she wanted to know the results of our COVID test to see if she should get her kid tested. (laughs) My buttons were pushed. (laughs) Now the mother of this kid is a sister in Christ. And I already had the negative COVID test result for my kid. But the level of animosity that I carried in my heart for several days was remarkable. 
I carried that animosity over the possibility that my kid had unnecessarily gotten sick from this kid not following the rules and going to school while sick, over the even more remote and theoretical possibility that this other kid could have gotten my kid more seriously sick, and honestly over the inconvenience of it all, both for me and for my kid. And in the midst of carrying this resentment around in my heart, I read these words from Bonhoeffer. Even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother? Is not the sinning sister still a sister? With whom I too stand under the word of, of Christ. Will not his or her sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live under the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ. Thus, the very hour of disillusionment with my brother or sister becomes incredibly health-giving because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. When I read those words, my heart was pierced, and I was convicted of my sin, and the Holy Spirit did surgery right then and there. My brothers and sisters, we are living in a time when the body of Christ is tragically fractured. And the Christian call set before us is to love like Jesus loves. To look at each other not as us and them, to look at each other not as an impediment to trouble-free living, but as all of us broken, all of us needing the blessing of his grace, and all of us together under the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. So how do we get from here to there? Jesus shows us that we get there together and we get there alone. When James and John try to worm, worm their way into the place of honor behind the backs of their fellow disciples, Jesus sits them all down together and he teaches them the truth together. As a community, we read the scriptures together. We sing together. We hear the proclamation of the word together. We pray together, and we fellowship at the table together. We share life together. We support each other. And as Kevin preached last week, sometimes we challenge each other as we speak the truth in love. And we are transformed together. And yet Jesus also modeled being alone with the Father. He goes into the desert, beside the sea, up the mountains to solitary places. He spent time abiding in the love of the Father, of being reminded and confirmed and instructed in his call. He spent time meditating, praying, interceding, listening. Our journey is a journey together in community and alone with our loving God. We need both. Bonhoeffer wrote, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. He talks about how we are called into community, 
In community, we're called to bear our cross, to struggle, to pray. And Bonhoeffer says, you are not alone even in death. And on the last day, you will only be one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. If you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ, and thus your solitude will be harmful to you. There are a number of people who would prefer to do their faith journey apart from the church. They try to go it alone for a whole host of reasons. But that is not a path offered to us. It is not reflective of the reality of life in Christ. And ultimately, it is not spiritually sustainable. We need this. And yet we also need solitude with God. In these times alone, we seek God. We meditate. We seek spiritual stillness and silence in the presence of God. We sit under scripture, often very short passages or even single words. And this gives us the solid ground on which to stand. We get guidance and direction, perspective, hope, and peace. We spend time in nature alone listening to God. I don't think it's an accident that most of the places that Jesus went alone to pray were outdoors. As we read in our psalm tonight about the sky, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. And later in that same psalm, it talks about the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. God speaks to us through his creation of his majesty and creativity, of his immense love for diversity, which are all important parts of kingdom community. Now, we have to be realistic. It's, it's, we live in Illinois, and it's going to get cold. <laughs> so I'm not saying all of our time alone with God in nature needs to be in a forest preserve. But even just sitting at a window where we can see our soon-to-be bald branches of our trees stretching towards heaven can give us that sense of connection to God and creation. Finally, when we're alone, we intercede for each other. Bonhoeffer writes about intercession this way, and this really kind of blew my mind. Intercessory prayer is the purifying bath into which the individual and fellowship must enter every day. Intercession means no more than to bring our brother into the presence of God, to see him under the cross of Jesus as a human being, a poor human being, and sinner in need of grace. Then everything in him that repels us falls away. We see him in all his destitution and need, and his need and sin become so heavy and so oppressive that we feel them as our own. And we can do nothing else but pray, Lord, I pray that you and you alone would deal with him according to your severity and your goodness. Sometimes I shorten this to get him, God. <laughs> to make intercession means to grant our brother the same right that we have received 
namely to stand before Christ and share his mercy. We can't hate or condemn someone we pray for like this, no matter what they've done. Bonhoeffer says this is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. There is no dislike, no personal tension, no estrangement that cannot be overcome by intercession as far as our side of it is concerned. We see a parallel to this in 12-step programs like Al-Anon, Naranon, Esanon, or Gamanon, which support people who have been affected by the addiction of a family member or friend. Anon programs help their participants, working the steps, which is a very prayerful process, to see their loved ones as sick people, not bad people. They're powerless over alcohol or drugs or lust or gambling. My friends, we have to go deep into this. We need it here in Savior. We need it in ACNA. We need it in the church in America. We need it in our families, in our workplaces, and our ministries. I'll be honest, intercession is not something I'm a natural at, at least in my broader relationships or for the people with whom I'm experiencing friction. But I feel like that image uh, from Bonhoeffer of, of getting into a bath shook something loose for me, and I hope it does for you too. That image of bringing the person we're praying for into the presence of God, like getting into a bath under the cross of Christ and just holding them as a sinner in need of grace, that is a much more helpful image to me compared to what I think I've tended to picture in the past, which is me doing repetitive weightlifting <laughs> for some, on behalf of someone else. This other way of praying is so much more a source of joy in God and in community. And as with so many other spiritual disciplines, it feels so much less onerous when we realize it's not about us or our effort, but it is really simply about positioning ourselves in a place where we allow God's love to flow in us and through us. We just get in the bath, we're immersed in God's healing and transformation for the person we're praying for, and quite a bit of it splashes onto us too. Even the hard work kind of praying around areas of deep wounding, which is something we all are invited into during certain seasons of our lives. It's not powered by us or our effort. God is the one doing the heavy lifting. We just have to show up and we get to participate in the miracle. My friends, things are tough right now. They just are, for a lot of reasons. But let's stay on this journey together. Let's live into the love of God's upside-down kingdom. Let's keep meeting. Let's keep reading scripture. Let's keep singing and praying together. Let's keep reading and sharing the word. And let's keep coming to this amazing table to receive with open hands the bread of heaven, and the cup of salvation. And let's also respond to God's passionate pursuit of us as individuals. Let's his, enjoy his presence on our own and receive the inflowing of his love and his power and his transformation as we meditate and pray and intercede for each other. 
And let's especially intercede for the people that push our buttons. Let's enter into and collaborate with the healing work that God is already doing in them. Because you know what? We're also pushing other people's buttons. And we also need prayer and healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful community of Savior. And I thank you that you have called us together to live in community. Lord, I thank you for your word and the power that it communicates to us. I thank you for the example of Jesus who gave his life, rose again, that we can be united with you. And I thank you for just the witness of the clouds of saints throughout history, Lord, and, and just right now specifically for Dick Bonhoeffer, who also um, paid for obedience with his life, and the teaching that we get to hand down from these gifted and um, connected leaders, Lord, connected who are conduits of your Holy Spirit. So as we live in this time, in this place, Lord, help us be faithful to your call and your example to love. Help us receive your love in such a way um, that, that we can only give thanks. And as we rub up against the hard edges of others or the deep woundedness of others, Lord, that we would see ourselves and others the way that you see us as people that you love as people that you died for and people that you rose again for so that we could live in beautiful community with you and with each other amen <laughs>